Osuga recently declared a state of emergency, it was kind of a state of emergency light. He just kind of said, oh, do me a favor and don't go to restaurants after 8 p.m. Mm. Don't go to the bars so much. And so it really is this very laid-back uh, approach to a worsening pandemic problem here in Japan. Again, compared to my country, the U.S., Japan looks like an incredible success case. But from the low base of where we are in terms of coronavirus cases, things here are worsening as we speak. And that cannot be good for business confidence, for consumer confidence, and for Suga's, you know, basically trajectory as prime minister. William, thanks for updating us. That's Tokyo-based Tokyo journalist and author William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Japan, the Nikkei 225 at the moment is up around about 1%. Also, the same story for Australian stocks. The ASX 200 up about 1.1%. In South Korea, the Cosby has risen a quarter of a percent at the open. We're waiting for Hong Kong stocks to open about an hour's time. Looks like they'll add about 180 points onto the Hang Seng Index. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil trading at eight, uh, sorry, $54.82 a barrel. Gold is at $1,838 an ounce. Thanks very much for listening this morning. Do stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Ada Wong in just one moment. The weather forecast, fine and dry. Maximum temperature is going to be around 18 degrees. The outlook, cloudier with a few rain patches in the next couple of days. And then the weather will improve during the weekend to early next week. There is a cold weather warning in force. It's 14 degrees right now, 55% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half. Here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. A tourism professor says a major overhaul of Ocean Park's business model is challenging but could be a long-term solution for its financial woes. The revamp includes free access to a new shopping and dining zone, individually charging for attractions and outsourcing most operations. Professor Brian King from the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at the Polytechnic University says it's a necessary change. It fits within the wider plan for Southern District. I think the opening up and welcoming the local community is really essential. I mean, it, the pandemic has been an opportunity for a reset. And I think embracing the local community, winning the hearts and minds is an important first step. And I think the tourists, the, the visitors, will come when they see the locals enjoying it. So I think that first step is really critical. The head of the World Health Organization says the world is on the verge of a catastrophic moral failure over the way COVID-19 vaccines are being shared out. Speaking at the WHO's executive board meeting, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus said this would lead to hoarding, delay the delivery of vaccines and prolong the pandemic. Not only does this me-first approach leave the world's poorest and most vulnerable people at risk, it's also self-defeating. Vaccine equity is not just a moral imperative, it is a strategic and economic imperative. The German firm Audi has become the latest car maker to warn that a global shortage of semiconductors will force it to curb production in the coming weeks. Here's the BBC's Theo Leggett. A shortage of computer chips has become a serious issue for the global motor industry. Modern cars need them because they rely heavily on complex electronics to control their engines, safety systems and driver aids. Demand did decline sharply last year when factories and showrooms in many regions closed down in the early stages of the pandemic. But while the industry itself has recovered faster than expected, semiconductor production has lagged behind. Car companies have been left to compete with businesses in other sectors, such as consumer electronics, for the available supplies. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Bank Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today is Ada Wong. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. We're talking today about COVID, we're talking about the effectiveness of vaccines and we're talking about Ocean Park. Well, the government's advisors on vaccines have given their unanimous backing to the BioNTech jabs. The administration has bought, paving the way for them to be used to uh, inoculate Hong Kong residents. The number of new virus cases uh, in Hong Kong, meanwhile, hit a one-month high yesterday, reaching triple figures. Health authorities reported 107 new infections. Chan Shukwan said 28 of the latest cases came from buildings in Yamate and Jordan that are now under a mandatory coronavirus testing. So why are the figures rising in this way? What do we learn about vaccines and uh, the different options? Should flower markets be open for Chinese New Year, as has been reported? And why are ethnic minorities being affected in particular in our uh, city? Uh, let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us and our telephone number is 233 That's 233-88266. We've got a few uh, emails on different topics. Uh, I think we'll, we'll put those in between uh, our topics uh, today. After 9.15, as I say, we're going to be talking about uh, the future of Ocean Park. Uh, Alan Zeman, the uh, former boss, uh, now chairman of the Lankwai Fong Group, will be joining us then. Uh, joining us for our first topic, we have with us now Professor Benjamin Cowling, uh, Division Head in the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. And uh, in a moment, we also hope to be speaking to uh, Professor Adrian Esterman, who's Professor of Biostatistics at the University of uh, Adelaide uh, in Australia. Uh, Benjamin Cowling, first of all, good morning to you. Good morning. Do you know Adrian Esterman? You must. I do not. You do not? Oh, small world, isn't it? Because he's biostatistician, uh, biostatistician uh, like yourself. Anyway, let's talk about Hong Kong may, may, maybe first. Um, so we have the, uh, w- w- as I say, a couple of, well, three things maybe to talk about. First of all, the, the issue of the, uh, of the vaccines. Um, so the, uh, the panel has now approved uh, BioNTech, so we can move ahead with, uh, with that. Uh, what, what do you make of that decision? Do you think that's a, a sensible one? Yeah, we've seen a lot of evidence on the Pfizer vaccine from the clinical trials that have been reported now, and also it's being used, uh, millions of doses administered in other countries. I think Israel's administered, is it 10 or even 20 million doses of vaccine? Uh, So by the time we get to start using it in Hong Kong, we'll have seen a lot of experiences with that vaccine elsewhere in the world. And I, I think we'll be reassured that it's a very safe and very effective vaccine. So I think the sooner we can get it in Hong Kong, the better. So you're not particularly worried about the um, the elderly Norwegians who died from, from the... No, I saw that report. I think in Norway they were vaccinating a lot of very frail elderly. And then when you vaccinate thousands, even tens of thousands of very frail people, of course, unfortunately, some of them will, will pass away because they're all very, very frail. So I, I don't think that's likely to have been because of the vaccine that hasn't been reported anywhere else in the world. I think it's just a phenomenon because in Norway they chose to vaccinate really very, very frail people. What could some of the allergic reactions be like? Uh, For the Pfizer vaccine, it's quite common to get a mild reaction just after vaccination, maybe a fever, maybe feeling a bit tired, um, maybe just the day after vaccination, maybe having a rash or or itchiness at the injection site. There's also the possibility of rarer side effects. That's true with all vaccines. And actually, we haven't yet established the rate of any of those 
rare side effects. There was a, a couple of reports of Bell's palsy in the U.S., but we don't know the rate at which that happens. Uh, that would be consistent with, with other vaccines if it was something like one in every 10,000, one in every 100,000. Really very, very rare to get a, a stronger reaction to vaccination. So what's the difference between uh, this uh, Pfizer vaccine and the Sinovac and the Sinopharm vaccines? That should be uh, the, the available. The Sinovac and the Sinopharm vaccines are using traditional technology. So those two vaccines, it's not a virus, heat it up to kill it, to inactivate the virus, and then also purify whatever they're left with and then inject it into people. And that's the way that a lot of vaccines have been made traditionally, and we're still using vaccines for other diseases using that kind of approach, that kind of technology. But for COVID, you may have noticed in Europe and the US, those kind of technologies have not even really been tested for COVID. I guess scientists in Europe and the US had a feeling or a suspicion that the technology wouldn't work so well. So there's different technologies being used in, in the UK. They have the Oxford University vaccine, which is a, using genetic manipulation of another virus to make it look like COVID and then use that in the vaccine. And then you've got the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, which have this brand new technology uh, called mRNA, which is essentially teaching your body to, to make something that looks like COVID. And then your immune system can react to that and learn how to fight off real COVID. It's really very clever, but it hasn't been used before on this scale. It's a new technology. Okay, um, we'll get back to the issue of the uh, the vaccines. But uh, what about the latest figures from Hong Kong? I mean, highest for a month, uh, over 100 now, 107 cases reported uh, yesterday. Again, we don't seem to be getting a grip on it, although we're using many of the same kind of restrictions and uh, anti-COVID measures that we have in the past. They don't seem to be as effective. What's going on in your reckoning? It may be a couple of things. So the numbers have been coming down since December but slowly, not as quickly as they came down in the third wave. And they were heading towards zero at Chinese New Year, but now we've got this, uh, this kind of maybe resurgence in the past week. But then also, you remember in, in Jordan and Chim Chao Choi, there's a lot of buildings now under uh, testing regulations, mass testing regulations. And I think a lot of cases have been found in those buildings that might not otherwise have been identified, if not for this um, testing requirements and, and regulations put in place. Uh, so I, I think although the number yesterday was 100, actually many of those cases might not have been found had they not been looking so hard for them. And so it's not quite fair to compare it to the 50 from the week before, 50 a day from the week before, where maybe even the week before, though there were only 50 confirmed, there could have been 100 or even more that we didn't know about. But now, in yesterday, we found a lot of extra cases, most likely mild, most likely asymptomatic as well. Um, so it's good news that we found more cases because that means we can cut down more chains of transmission and hopefully stay on the path to see case numbers coming down in the next week. I don't think case numbers are going to keep going up because we've got all the socialism measures in place. But um, I'm not sure whether we can hit zero by Chinese New Year. Right. Uh, we, we see uh, more cases now, you know, with uh, old pipes uh, being the main reason um, of the virus getting out of control. Um, what, what do you make of that? Oh, it, it's not clear, Mr. Pipes. I know there's some health experts who 
who always attribute these kind of outbreaks to pipes and faulty plumbing and so on. But those buildings are very crowded with subdivided flats and very close-knit community. So we could also imagine transmission going on with prolonged close contact, regardless of whether there's uh, good plumbing or not. Uh, but it does shine a light on the inequalities in Hong Kong and uh, the poor housing conditions in some parts of the city. Um, not only the plumbing, but also the subdivided flats, the really high density of, of people inside those buildings. Uh, and it's actually reminiscent of what happened in Singapore maybe six months ago with the outbreaks in the migrant worker dormitories where where they were also living in, in um, tighter conditions, a lot of people packed together, and there was an enormous outbreak there. Uh, it's not exactly the same because in, in Hong Kong these people are living in the community uh, among everyone else, but uh, it, it's really unfortunate. And I think it's a warning to us of how quickly infections can spread in settings where there's a lot of people packed in close confinement. And if I could just mention one other thing, I'm concerned about outbreaks in prisons and in detention facilities. We've been lucky so far in the past year, not not to have had any of those, but in other countries, they've seen infections rip through prisons and detention facilities. And in Hong Kong, I really hope that won't happen, but it's a warning to us of what could happen. Okay, comment from uh, Matthew in an email. He says, The South China Morning Post is reporting this morning that uh, Raymond Ho Lei Meng, head of the health promotion branch of the Centre for Health Protection, said that by taking off masks to eat and socialise, residents of mostly South Asian descent are helping to spread the disease in Yaochim Mong district. Matthew says, I don't recall much government criticism of dancing tie-ties or even much consequences for them starting this wave by irresponsible behaviour. Related, has anyone seen any footage or reports of China's most serious senior leaders taking the Sinovac vaccine. Finally, after Alan Zeman has finished once again subtly telling us he ran Ocean Park the best, please ask him if he would take the Sinovac vaccine as his first choice if Carrie gives us one. That's for, from Matthew, backchat.rthk.hk. Uh, we're joined, as I say, by uh, Adrian Esterman, Professor of Biostatistics at the University of Adelaide. Uh, Professor Esterman, good morning to you. Good day to you. Thank you for, for joining us. It is, in fact, good morning here. Yes. Uh, good morning. OK, right. Uh, bring us up to the, what's happening with the vaccines. Um, how are you progressing uh, in uh, Australia? first of all? Uh, in the next two or three weeks, we'll be rolling out the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. So that will first go to people working in aged care homes and aged care home residents, um, frontline health workers. Uh, and once all that uh, group have been vaccinated, it will then roll out to the elderly, so those 70 years or over, and to people with health conditions that make them at high risk. Uh, we have uh, 10 million doses, which is enough for 5 million people, so that's a fifth of Australia's population. And once that's used up, we'll then move on to the AstraZeneca vaccine. OK, so it seems like a similar, maybe, timetable uh, and vaccine initially, at least, to, to what we will be having in Hong Kong. Is there, was there much controversy over that, over that choice, at least for the initial, for using the Pfizer-BioNTech first? No, none whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, it has very high efficacy. I know there's been some queries in Norway about um, frail elderly nursing home residents who've died. But, but um, at the moment, we don't believe it's associated with the vaccine. So there, there's no controversy at all at the moment over the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. There is a bit of controversy over the AstraZeneca in that it has a much lower efficacy, but we don't know exactly what it is. It's anywhere between 60 and 90%, and probably between 70 and 80%. And there is a little bit of... Um, 
concern in, amongst the Australian general public that they're getting a sort of a, a lower order vaccine that isn't as good as the Pfizer-BioNTech. Um, but I'm sure that'll all settle down. OK. Well, we've got two biostaticians uh, with us now. So could, could, could I ask you to uh, maybe put your heads together or whatever and, and, and try and just clarify what's happening with the Chinese-developed vaccines? Because it seems that the, the information that's been released so far is kind of not comparable to the information that's been released uh, by, uh, by authorities and by the developers of, of other vaccines. What do you think is going on? Professor Esterman, um, what, what, what's happening with the Chinese vaccines? Why are we getting this sort of, this, this kind of well, information? I don't, I don't know much about the other vaccines. I know mm. a bit about the coronavac, which is the one that's had a lot of controversy in Brazil. Mm-hmm. So what's happened is that the trial results from Turkey um, were based on a very, very small sample size. So because of that, they're not at all reliable. I think Turkey had uh, something like about only 1,300 volunteers and they found a 92% efficacy. Uh, What happens is that if you want confidence in results, you need over 30,000 people in a trial. And that's what most of the major um, vaccine manufacturers are doing. They have 30 to 40,000 people in the trial, half of whom get the vaccine, the other half get a placebo. So Turkey only had 1,300 when they released their results. Brazil only had 12,000 when they released their results. So these aren't the full trial results, they're only very partial ones, small samples, and so you can expect a lot of um, variability in the efficacy rate. So it's just the scale of the testing is, is at fault at the moment? It just have not been... Well, yes. Basically, you shouldn't really be releasing results from small trials. The other thing is that none of this has been peer-reviewed. It's just been sort of published reports that haven't been looked at by, by other researchers. So how much faith you can put in that, I don't know. Mm. Professor Cowling, what, can, can you explain what's going on? Yeah, there's an interesting thing about, about some vaccines where if you get the vaccine, it can protect you against infection. But then in some vaccines and some diseases, even if you got infected, if you vaccinated, then the infection would be attenuated. It would be less severe. And that seems to have happened with the Sinovac vaccine. So what we've heard so far is something like effectiveness of maybe 50% against infection but effectiveness of 78% against getting moderate or even severe disease. So the vaccine works to protect you against infection to some degree, but then if you do get infected, it also gives you additional protection against severe disease, which is good. But the problem is in in the other vaccines we've heard about, the Pfizer vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, and so on, they generally look at only protection against moderate or severe disease. They don't usually look at protection against mild disease. So the 50% we know for Sinovac, there isn't really anything to compare that with. The 78%, we can compare that with Oxford University, maybe 70, 80% or something similar, and then Pfizer, Moderna, 90, 95%. So the Sinovac doesn't look as good as those. What we don't know is whether Pfizer has a high efficacy against mild infection, whether AstraZeneca vaccine has a high efficacy against mild infection. It may not, uh, and that's going to be a problem down the road if we use a vaccine on a large scale which does protect against severe disease but does not protect against infection. Okay. Uh, our number is 233-88266. We've got a caller on the line. Uh, it's Mike, I think. Mike, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, I, do, I try to do my homework, try to do my study, and I haven't heard anybody talk about person-to-person transmission and the vaccines. I haven't found any place where a vaccine has been scientifically, medically proven to have person-to-person 
um, any protection, person-to-person transmission. So if I can respond. Sure, yeah. um, if the vaccines prevent infection, then they'll also prevent people from being able to pass on it, pass on infection to other people. If the vaccines don't do such a good job at protecting infection, protecting against infection, like, for example, the Sinovac vaccine, then we, we might not see such a strong effect against transmission, and it might be difficult to reach herd immunity. So one of the concerns that's been raised about the Sinovac vaccine is even if we gave everybody in Hong Kong the Sinovac vaccine, we wouldn't necessarily have herd immunity. We would all then be protected against getting, we have, we have protection against getting more severe disease, but COVID would still be circulating in Hong Kong, and that means a lot of people could ultimately get infected. And even with a 80% protection against severe disease, that's still 20% who, who would, would possibly still be at risk of a severe disease if they got infected. There was that's another something that we want to happen. There was another misnomer, and that was asymptomatic transmission. Never, there hasn't been a, there hasn't been a case um, uh, that has been registered of asymptomatic transmission. Now, you've got subclinical and you've got preclinical transmission, but not asymptomatic transmission. And we're all told about, hey, you can have the disease and, and give it to somebody else and you don't even know you have it. You may be test positive and be asymptomatic, and then you're still highly infected. And so you go into quarantine for 21, 21 days. <laughs> and yet there hasn't been a single case of asymptomatic transmission that has been recorded. Uh, yeah, so I, is that because it hasn't been recorded doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But actually, I, I tend to agree with your, your argument that, that when, when people are on the way towards developing symptoms after they've been infected, the viral load can come up earlier and they can transmit infection before their symptoms appear. And that's been reported many, many times. What we haven't really seen evidence of is people who are infected, who never go on to develop any symptoms. Those people don't seem to be very contagious. Maybe the viral load is at a very low level. Uh, it doesn't mean it couldn't happen. And actually, it would be difficult to observe it, even if it did happen, because we don't pick up all the asymptomatic cases that are occurring. Um, but, uh, but I do, uh, I don't disagree with you. The, the asymptomatic, pure asymptomatic transmission is, is probably rare. Um, on, okay, on Mike. Yeah bring it up is because I, I really question, I just finished 21 days quarantine. I really question the, the need for a 21 day quarantine. Okay. In Australia, in Australia yeah. we have a 14 day quarantine period with testing on days one, five and, and 11 or 12. Uh, yeah. And that seems to be pretty effective. Yeah, I mean, it's recently being extended in, in Hong Kong from two weeks to, to, to three weeks. You, you're saying you think that's um, unnecessary, Professor Esterman? Well, I think uh, certainly we don't do that here, and we haven't had any cases arising from uh, people being infectious after that 14-day period. One of the concerns might be the new extremely contagious variants that we're seeing in the UK, Brazil yeah. and South Africa. I think that was, the, that was the spur, wasn't it? Mike? Uh, 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 an extremely um, uh, 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 contagious would mean that you, you came down more quickly. You got sick more quickly. So what would the, what would the, uh, the 21 days, how would, that, how would that be necessary? I mean, if it was extremely contagious, you're going to get it, and it's going to happen quickly. And normally within three to five days of, of after contact, you get... You, you start to get symptoms. I think pe people, been, have done yeah. modeling, people have done modeling that show that 
after 14 days, I think it's about 1% of people could still be infectious. That's right. So that, so you're getting, that might be a possible reason why they've extended it. But, uh, so you get 95, yeah, 1%. Okay. I mean, I mean that's what, that what was known. You get 95% of the people that are, are symptomatic within five days of contact. And then another 1% or 2% after 14 days and another 1% after 21 days. Seems a little bit overkill. Okay. All right, Mike, thanks very much indeed for your call. Uh, Backchat is rthk.hk is our email address. Uh, or call us, 233-88266. Patrick in Wan Chai email says, Surely the government should be working 24 hours a day to roll out the vaccine to the elderly, infirm and healthcare workers before Chinese New Year, when there will inevitably be intergenerational indoor gatherings and an uptick in cases and possibly deaths. Why the delay? That comes from uh, Patrick in Wan, Hai, in Wan Chai. Uh, Professor Cowling, there, there was some speculation, it's not really confirmed, but some speculation that the government would allow um, uh, flower markets to, to go ahead, which have you know, traditionally been very busy, bustling, crowded kind of places. What, what would, would that make sense? It seems uh, uh, counterintuitive. Yeah, I, I think it's not particularly a good idea. In general, we'd like to avoid crowding at this time because of COVID circulating in the community. And that means crowding in shopping malls. That means crowding in restaurants. It means crowding in workplaces. But it also means crowding in flower markets. But I would say that the flower markets are typically outdoors where transmission isn't so common. People will be wearing masks. There'll be, I'm sure there'll be very close attention on people wearing masks all the time in flower markets. And I think one of the considerations was that if the government doesn't allow flower markets to open, then people are all going to go to Prince Edward or the other existing flower markets and they'll be even more crowded there instead. So it may actually make sense to open flower markets, but, but maybe try to minimize the crowding, maybe even have more flower markets across the city so that people don't need to be in such big crowds all the time. Maybe let them go on for a longer period of time. Um, I also know that people in Hong Kong are frustrated with all of the social distancing measures. We've had them for, for much of the last year. And it's really tiring to keep going with them, and we're going to need to keep them for for a while longer, I think. I mean, we we now have COVID for a year now, and you certainly have lots of data. Is it still the case that outdoor transmission is more unlikely than indoor transmission? Yeah, actually, we haven't really seen any any evidence of outdoor transmission. I know there's there's outbreaks in in, uh, construction sites, but it's not clear that that's outdoor on the site or maybe indoors in the common areas and the, the break room and so on. Um, we've also been looking in Hong Kong at, at the places where transmission occurs in terms of whether masks are worn or not, and we have an estimate of about 70% of transmission where we know who it happened between. 70% of transmission is when masks were probably not being worn, 30% when masks were being worn. That indicates that because we wear masks all the time, masks most likely are providing a good level of protection. It's just that we don't wear them all the time. We don't wear them at home. We don't wear them when we're eating. And in some workplaces, they're not worn as well. well what about medical personnel? We just heard that in North District Hospital, uh, one of the doctors uh, was infected. Um, surely doctors are very much protected with the right gear. Yeah, they should be. And actually in Hong Kong, we've done better than almost anywhere else in the world in terms of protecting healthcare workers against infection. You remember in China, in the early days, there were a lot of healthcare worker infections in Italy and the US. Uh, all along, there have been a lot of healthcare worker infections in Hong Kong. We've had very, very few. And we would expect some just by coincidence, because when you've got thousands of cases 
cumulatively in Hong Kong, there would anyway be some cases in doctors and nurses, even if they weren't infected in the hospital uh, by their patients or by other colleagues. But we've seen a number of outbreaks in, in hospitals. Quite often, actually, it seems like there's been transmission among colleagues, maybe in the private areas, maybe the break rooms in the hospitals or clinics, not so much from contact with healthcare workers and patients and, and patients and healthcare workers. Okay, and, and finally, uh, you know, uh, comments about uh, Matthew touched on there about uh, ethnic minorities, especially in those in those uh, crowded areas in Yaoqing, Mong, uh, and so on. And some of the some of the sort of uh, socialising and so on may pose a particular risk. Any any comments on that, uh, Benjamin Cowling? Any thoughts? Ah, uh, sure. And um, I've seen the, the the police on Sundays with that 1.5 meter ruler going to, to to talk to all the domestic helpers about social distancing, and then. 100 metres away, there's an enormous crowd of people in the shopping mall. Mm. I think uh, the, the solution to the, the, the outbreak in, in uh, Yautin Mong is probably going to take longer-term effort to improve housing in Hong Kong for minorities so that we, we don't let them get stuffed into these tiny flats, subdivided flats, all really clouded together. And uh, that, that's not only an issue for COVID, it's an issue for other infectious diseases as well. And... Social, social hygiene and mental health. So I, I think we need a long-term solution to that. But in the short term, I guess what's being done right now is going to protect those people by evacuating some of those buildings and by doing all of this mandatory testing. OK, well, Professor Cowling, thanks, thanks for joining us. We'll, Professor Esterman will uh, stay with us. We're also going to be joined by uh, Ivan Hung from the University of Hong Kong. Later, we're going to be talking about the future of Ocean Park uh, as well. Uh, join us. Uh, email back, chat at rthk.hk or call us. And the weather before the news now at 9 o'clock. It's going to be fine and dry. There's a very cold, there's a cold weather warning as well at the moment. 14 degrees, the latest readings, relative humidity down to 57%. To makeshift court where he was remanded in custody for 30 days. Mr Navalny faces three and a half years in jail on embezzlement charges, which he denies. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Bank Chat this Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Hugh Turton. We're talking about aspects of uh, COVID-19, the vaccine, the latest figures uh, in Hong Kong. Later, we're going to be talking about those uh, plans to uh, reshape uh, Ocean Park quite considerably, really. Um, the uh, the new head says it basically won't be a theme park anymore. So what will it be? Uh, Alan Zeman, the former head, uh, will be joining us uh, around 9.15 um, this morning. Of course, we want to hear from you. Uh, Bankchat at rthk.hk is our email address. Uh, or you can uh, call us, uh, and our number is uh, 233-88266. Tom on Facebook says, that's our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Tom says, I'm greatly confused why vaccines are being rolled out in poorer countries of the world, but we still haven't received any word in Hong Kong. Is this a yellow camp sentiment in the medical community blocking the Sinovac vaccine or just the usual bureaucratic pedanticism we often see here? Uh, Pfizer and AstraZeneca are better at completely preventing COVID. However, in the phase three results, Sinovac is also completely effective at blocking severe symptoms and all hospitalised COVID cases were in the control group in the studies and this vaccine should also be approved. That's uh, from uh, Tom. Uh, that's uh, his take. Uh, at any rate, Yannick says, in retrospect, and speaking only for myself, 
I would have preferred getting a two-week bad flu and healing from it and be done with it than dealing with a year of hell we've just had and surrendering freedoms I may never get back. Uh, Yannick also said, I'd be happy to talk about it on the air along with a few other things on my mind. Yannick, that's what we're here for. 233-88266. Give us a call and uh, we'll put you on air. Uh, One more comment from MT, uh, who says to aim for zero cases is unachievable. Why is this a target? We have flu cases uh, all the time. Uh, And uh, Steve says on the issue of flower markets, what's the difference between going to a flower market and playing football or other sports? Surely it's time to allow outdoor activities and regulate the activities so that people don't go stir crazy. What's the estimated date for the next relaxation of rules? End of February. Very informative show this morning. Uh, Thanks, says uh, Steve. Uh, We do our best. Uh, With us now is uh, Professor Adrian Esterman, Professor of Biostatistics at the University of Adelaide. And we're also joined now by Ivan Hung, who's the Ruchian and Helen Lee Professor in Health Sciences Pedagogy, the Lee Ka-Shing Faculty of Medicine at the University of Hong Kong and Chief of the Infectious Disease Division at the University of Hong Kong. Professor Hung, good morning to you. and thank you for joining us. Um, so, so that I mean, the headline news has been the selection of the uh, Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccine. Um, are you you happy with that decision? And and how do you think people in Hong Kong are, are going to react? You know, we've heard that we might get a very low take up. Uh, what do you think is likely to happen? Well, I think that um, um, given the high efficacy of this vaccine, I think the take up will be will be quite high at the end. Uh, especially for the younger age group and people who are active uh, and, and probably could tolerate the relatively high uh, side effects of this vaccine. Um, so, uh, and overall, I think that the important is that the, the benefit of this vaccine is far away that the, in terms of the side effects of this vaccine. Um, what about Sinovac? Originally, uh, Sinovac uh, was expected to arrive uh, in Hong Kong earlier, but now it seems that uh, Pfizer would be the first vaccine that we'll have. What, what's happening there? Do you know? Well, for Sinovac, uh, we are still waiting for the, the phase three, the full phase three peer-reviewed uh, results. Uh, the one of the major, most important criteria uh, to uh, you know to to review this vaccine will be that it has to be the the phase three result has to be fully published in the international peer review journal Uh, until we have that result uh, there's nothing we can we can do what what's the efficacy of that um, at the moment do you know uh no we have no ideas because the the efficacy unfortunately keep changing all the time uh and it's variable for different uh tested uh regions or countries so uh, at the end, I think we still need to have the, the phase three full results before we could make a decision. We're seeing this pattern emerging uh, also recently of uh, a very kind of localised infection uh, with some of the uh, housing, some of the older housing in Yaochimong, Jordan and, uh, and so on. Uh, what do you make of that? I mean, that's worrying to the extent that people are suffering and, and there's a lot of housing in Hong Kong, poorer housing, that might be vulnerable in that way. But I guess it, on the plus side, you could say it's localised, you kind of know where it is, and that you might be able to control it a bit better? Well, I think it's a, it's a, it's a community, it's a small community outbreak. Uh, given the very crowded uh, environment uh, in that area, uh, where there are a lot of so-called partitioned apartments, where you know uh, families are living very close to each other uh, and, 
and very densely populated. So, uh, given and 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 also many of the buildings are relatively old with leaking pipe. So these added to the uh, the risks of transmission of the virus. So uh, I think the most important thing is to <clears throat> is to perform the uh, the testing uh, for the whole community as a compulsory testing as soon as possible, and also have the results available, hopefully within 24 hours or 48 hours, which allows uh, the contact tracing to be much more effectively carried out. Mm. Do you think it's time to relax uh, our social distancing measures? Uh, one one listener was saying that um, if we can go to flower markets, perhaps we can also play football and play tennis because all these uh, courts and sports facilities have been closed for two months now almost. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, we have a uh, another outbreak right now. So uh, this will be uh, the, uh, an inappropriate decision uh to relax the infection control measures right now. Uh, I think we, we need to wait uh, for another few weeks uh, for the numbers to, to come down, uh, probably to, to single digit, uh, before we could consider uh, whether or not to relax the uh, infection control measures. And hopefully that will happen uh, before the Chinese New Year. How, how do you think we're doing? I mean, we thought we were doing pretty well, but the numbers are... Either you know declining very slowly or even uh, increasing. It seems that we've kind of lost a grip. Yes, uh, it's, it's still fluctuating, meaning that there are still um, you know um, uh, people or asymptomatic uh, virus carriers out there in the community spreading the virus. So, uh, uh, and unfortunately, there's, some, there's, a, there's an outbreak in the community in, in Yamate. So, I think uh, right now, I think the decision is to to hopefully we're able to contact trace these people as quickly as possible. And then once we are able to break this uh, transmission chain and identify most of the cases, uh, then we will be able to get the numbers down as quickly as, uh, as we could. Okay. Um, Graham. Okay, can I, can I, can yeah, I go on, come please, in? Because yeah. one of your, by the way, I, I'm University of South Australia, not University of I'm sorry, yeah, I beg your pardon. That's right, they're our rivals. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> but... Um, one of your um, people who called in was saying that it's not possible to get down to zero cases. That's simply not true. Um, we, we, we have had several periods of totally zero community transmission in Australia, including today and yesterday. And in several states, we've had no cases for months, no community transmission for months. And the reason is that we've taken a very strict elimination approach that's worked. Um, I assume that Hong Kong hasn't done that and has taken a suppression approach. What, what do you mean? Doesn't a, work. What do you mean elimination approach? We have gone into hard, short lockdowns, and that's crushed any outbreaks and led us to zero community transmission. And all states and territories in Australia have done that, apart from New South Wales. So a lockdown means that uh, the shopping malls would be closed. Everything then. shut. Everything shut apart from supermarkets. Um, uh, and essential services. And are people uh, allowed people to go out? Only, only, only just for exercise. No other reason, or, or go go to the doctor. And and how long was that for? Well, recently we did that in Adelaide. It lasted three days, and um, Queensland's done a similar thing for three days. Oh, it's a really short, really short, really short, really harsh lockdown, and it just crushes any outbreak immediately. Well, I think in. In Hong Kong, it's, uh, it's relatively uh, difficult and, and, and different from Australia, given the very, very crowded environment in Hong Kong. Uh, and then, of course, there are still many 
uh, you know, asymptomatic carrier out there. Uh, and also that, of course, that we had a long period of uh, zero cases between the wave two and wave three, uh, that stretch about two months. Uh, and, and that is probably because of the, first of all, the virus is different at that time. Uh, is you know, without the, the, the spike protein mutation, D614G mutation, uh, and the virus itself is less contagious. Uh, and of course that we had a, again, uh, which I agree with you, is that we have a much more uh, straight rules at that time in terms of the uh, containment. Uh, which unfortunately this time around is that the uh, the it's actually carrying on from the third and the fourth wave, uh, having so-called non-stop. So this will be much more difficult this time around to clear everything. And I think at the end of the day, we have to uh, have the vaccination program uh, rolled out uh, before we can get it to uh, to zero. Uh, okay, <clears throat> a couple of comments uh, on the vaccination program. Graham says you dodged the question in the first half. Why are we waiting? Uh, I, I assume why the delay in the vaccines. Uh, Ivan Hung, do you think we've been slow in, in getting the vaccine? And why are we waiting now? Why not? No, because uh, why not do I it straight we away? Could afford, we could afford to be slow, given that we have uh, relatively few cases compared to. Well, what's the advantage the U- in being to, slow? To UK and US, uh, and that we have to wait for a com- you know a phase three results to come out which currently the only one that have come out is the, is the BioNTech and also the Moderna vaccine uh, that has a complete phase three results being rolled out. So um, we, 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 we need to review both the efficacy and also the, the side effects uh, of the vaccine uh, before we can give it to our community. So I think this is a very, uh, you know, very stringent uh, review by the advisory panel before we can uh, advise the government on that. And also that we have to prepare the, uh, you know, all the uh, vaccination uh, facilities as well as the, the manpower. And also we train our nurses, uh, including, of course, that we need to prepare for any kind of side effects uh, in terms of the, uh, the really rare anaphylaxis. Uh, we have to have the resuscitation, uh, you know, uh, trolley everything ready. Together with that, uh, you know, if pa- patients develop bowel palsy, then we have to have a really quick referral uh, to the uh, to the medical specialty uh, to to manage these patients. So uh, I think. With I, all I mean, these the, okay, things, the impression uh, I'm getting is that the, the Pfizer, this Pfizer Biontech, is slightly the the, the uh, more risky option. Is that what you're saying? Yes, uh, there are certainly more side effects as being seen, of course, in. Uh, in uh, in Israel and also in Norway, mm. uh, especially to you know the elderly population. So, as a result, we have to look at these data, uh, you know, very stringently before we can roll out to the community. Uh, and as, as a result, I think that this uh, this uh, slight delay is uh, acceptable. Mm. Okay, uh, Andrew in an email says, "Is Australia or anywhere else regulating public transport?" Asking the above, as nothing has been done to avoid crowding on ferries, buses, and the MTR. Uh, here. Uh, Professor Esterman, what about uh, public transport? Uh, one of the problems is that every state and territory in Australia has got different rules and regulations. So some of the mandate wearing of masks on public transport, others don't. Um, in, in states and territories where they have had recent outbreaks, then yes, um, masks are mandated. 
Right, but uh, you know, among all the infection control measures, um, you still think the lockdown is the best? Um, uh, we have school closure here. We have a closure of all facilities, including libraries and sports grounds um, and cinemas. Uh, but then shopping shopping centres are not closed. Well, how is Look, it like in uh, Australia? So we have a, a brilliant health economist in Australia called Professor Stephen Duckett, who works at something called the Grattan Institute. He was um, the um, executive director of our Federal Department of Health for many years, uh, very well respected. And he's written a report looking at the economic difference between uh, a suppression approach and an elimination approach. So a suppression approach, you don't have hard lockdowns, Every time there's an outbreak, you try and crush it. And that's what's happening in Sydney at the moment. Um, the rest of Australia has taken an elimination approach where we go into lockdowns and get down to zero cases. So his, his report from the Grattan Institute shows that the hard lockdown approach in the long run is economically much cheaper than the suppression approach. OK, because we've had another email from Rick who says, at what cost... He says, it's not entirely clear. The subject line is Mr. Oz, and he says, at what cost to the economy and people's mental health or well-being? So you, you said the economic impact is actually lessened by the short... sharp. Well, that, uh, that's correct, but yeah. you do obviously have a toll on, on uh, mm. mental health. So Victoria went into lockdown for several months, and that's had a huge toll on mental health. I totally agree. But a lockdown of just a few days really shouldn't have a... Uh, a huge impact on mental health. OK. Well, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us, Professor Adrian Esterman there from uh, the University of South Australia, Professor of Biostatistics. And many thanks to uh, Ivan Hong, uh, who's uh, Chief of the Infectious Diseases Division at the University of uh, Hong Kong, Professor of Health Sciences, uh, Pedagogy and the Faculty of Medicine. Thank you both very much indeed. And also Benjamin Cowling in the first part of the uh, programme. June in an email says, I was disappointed to find international schools have resumed some of their activities. Classes are split into morning and afternoon sessions two or three times a week. They're even allowed to do some sports like football training. How is it possible we have a different set of rules for local schools and international schools? Have I missed something? Uh, uh, yesterday, a friend sent me a link regarding a property sale which showed hundreds of people crammed into a hall to purchase properties. Surely this is a disaster waiting to happen. So we're stuck at home or working from home. Gyms, sports venues, beaches, cinemas, etc. are all closed and we know the vector did not come from those places. How will we ever get out of this mess? That comes uh, from June. Uh, uh, on uh, yesterday's uh, topic... Herman says it's interesting that Bowen chose yesterday to complain about a lack of constitutional rights in Hong Kong when the problem of small houses in the new territory is due in no small part to ding rights being granted and exercised under the basic law. Bowen, your timing is impeccable. I hope your foot tastes good, says Herman. And Phil B says, so Trump is out. He must be busy picking up the toys he's thrown from his pram since losing the election. America considers itself the perfect democracy model. What a joke. The whole world has observed since the election has been anything other than democracy. That comes uh, from uh, Phil B. Uh, well, uh, also yesterday uh, we heard from uh, the uh, Ocean Park uh, plans to uh, transform uh, the attraction, uh, adding a large uh, retail uh, 
dining and uh, entertainment area, uh, charging for uh, rides uh, in the uh, upper area, uh, and uh, uh, in, in general, uh, rethinking uh, Ocean Park. Uh, Lamming Wai, the chairman, in fact, said Ocean Park will no longer be a theme park. You could call it a resort or a destination. Alan Zeman was formerly the head of uh, Ocean Park. He's chairman of Lang Kwai Fong Group uh, and joins us on the line now. Mr Zeman, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for, for joining it. I've got to say, if it's not a theme park, what, what is it? Because I, I, I really don't quite understand what this amounts to now. You've got this bit here and a bit there and a bit there. Uh, does it add up to anything? It, it wasn't me that, this, that called sure. it not a theme park. Yeah. I mean, in essence, of course, it, it's theme park plus, I guess, Ming Wai is just trying to rebrand it or give it a new connotation. But uh, when it boils down to it all, it, it is... It is a theme park, but it's about the message is about conservation, education, all the things that uh, Ocean Park stood for. Um, you know, and this is a novel approach. Obviously, they've had problems making money the last number of years and um, opening up the lowland, you know, free of charge and calling it a retail dining education uh, initiative. Um, you know, it's worth a try because it's a beautiful piece of land. It goes right down to the waterfront, you know. And so for people who just want to go and hang out for free, and, you know, Hong Kong doesn't have many, many areas like that uh, that are free. So I think I think uh, it's worth a try. And then, um, of course, uh, charging for the, for the rides on the, high, you know, on the uh, highland, I mean, uh, on the hillside, it's, it's uh, again, it's an experiment, but uh, many people might enjoy that because uh, that that way they don't have to spend almost 500 Hong Kong dollars to get into the park and and uh, basically pay as you go. And because different rides, different uh, attractions attract different people. And so I think I think uh, you know I'm I'm one. And then of course uh, Ming Wai wants to do a highland in the highland zip line, like glamping, yoga, hiking, camping. You know that's all things that. Uh, in the new world with the young generation, um, you know, the, these are things that uh, appeal to young people today, you know, um, and I think I think uh, with the land, it's a beautiful piece of land overlooking Deepwater Bay. Uh, I definitely think, uh, um, I endorse that it's definitely worth a try. We also have the water park um, coming, uh, which was supposed to be open this year, but because of the virus, uh, COVID-19, um, they, they, we delayed the opening of, of the water park. But the water park is really, when everybody sees it, it's the best in the world. There's nothing like it. It's spectacular. It's indoor, outdoor. should open in August this year in the summertime. Um, and, and hopefully the COVID-19 will have <laughs> dissipated a bit. And uh, but, but, I mean, so you have a combination of both, and you have the new hotel, the uh, Fullerton Hotel from Singapore, which uh, is a great brand. It's right on the water for those of you that have a boat that can go out and, and see it. It's really right on the water. It's a great addition. And then the government's talking about, uh, you know, Carrie Lam and her policy address that talked about uh, the south side, in, enhancing the south side as a local and tourist destination. You know, they're going to build two piers, one in front of... Uh, the water park, the hotel, um, and, and another one in Deepwater Bay, which, uh, again, uh, it'll allow people to travel on the water. We have a great harbor, you know, a great waterside, and uh, people will be able to travel maybe to Stanley, to Lama Island, the fish restaurants. Um, it enhances, it opens up the whole area. We have such beautiful land in Hong Kong, and why not use it uh, smartly? 
and and uh, so I'm one to endorse it. It's worth a try. Uh, see if it works. The government has, um, uh, you know, reduced the uh, interest fees. The, the interest fees were very high, high, and really killing the park. <laughs> and and so I think I think that uh, they will wait, to, you know, till 2028 to collect it and start paying, and and so give them a, a breathing chance to breathe some life back into it. And and um, it employs. The good thing is it does employ roughly 2,000 people. Uh, more people will be offered jobs in the in the water park, especially with what's going on in Hong Kong at the moment. <laughs> people really, really do need jobs. We look at the unemployment figures; they're not very good. And so I think I think in general, um, it's definitely worth a try, especially during this very difficult time for Hong Kong. Mm. Yeah, um, Alan. Um, ultimately, uh, yes. I you know the the goal of all this. Um, uh, is to build a financially self-sufficient uh, leisure and retail destination for Hong Kong. Correct. Um, you know, with with all these new ideas, do do you think this will happen? Financially uh, self-sufficient. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I'm I, from where I come from, the government owns the park, and so basically, I'm not convinced that the that it should be. Self-financing because it's like a country park, it's like a park or 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 a highway or that kind of thing. As government should bear some uh, uh, responsibility for paying because it's open. Unless you don't want to pay anything, then just uh, sell the park, you know, or get an operator in that'll be responsible for all the the profits and the losses. I mean, they're trying one one part is is the lowland to bring in an operator, maybe by tender that that can. Uh, be responsible for the profits and the losses and, and, and pay some money. Um, you know, it's another model that uh, if people don't want to uh, pay for it, it's no different than West Kowloon. <laughs> I mean, West Kowloon, I can tell you now, there's no way it'll be self-sufficient. And again, it's culture, and we know culture is a very difficult thing. And uh, and so there will be uh, losses. We just have to get used to it. That's part of what government is, is about that. Uh, Putting in attractions for people—it's uh, not just about business, business, business. Uh, people also need to live, especially during these very difficult time. And, and you know, households in Hong Kong are so small. You see what's happening with the COVID-19 that's uh, now spreading in, in these subdivided flats, and you know, it's terrible. And so, I, I, we need more open spaces and more mm. of these kind of things for, for so people can get out and. and uh, really just enjoy themselves. And so uh, do I think it, it'll be self-sustaining? I mean, it remains to be seen, but you're taking, once the interest payment is off, um, the EBITDA should be okay. Okay, a couple of kind of money-related questions. First of all, uh, Mike says, could Alan Zeman declare any personal financial interest in this white elephant known to Ocean, <laughs> many as Ocean's Eleven? Well, I, I don't believe it's a white elephant, but of course, Hong Kong's a free society. Everyone can call whatever. I mean, I'm a businessman. You know, I would look at it. Uh, let's see what, what the uh, tender is all about. And, and, and uh, there is a possibility that uh, somebody can do well with it. Uh, and so we'd evaluate it and see if it's... Do you have any personal financial interest at the moment? In, in Ocean Park? Yeah. None at all. Okay. But you would, you would consider... You could run the down down 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd look at it, you yeah. know, when when the, all the terms and conditions come out and, and see if it's it's viable. I mean, at the moment, would that be tempting? Because you you know you're you're not you, you can't you still kind of offer advice, don't you? You still kind yes. of uh, think yeah. a lot about Ocean Park. Would oh, you? I do. I, I'm still an advisor for I mean, the water park. Okay, so you would would you be you know would you consider uh, running the um, uh, uh, yeah, the, the new uh, shopping mall, the leisure center. Yeah, I, I mean, of course, I said I need to see what the mm. tender is all about and the amount of money that's that's involved and and what you can build there and what you can't build there and and uh, you know because it, it it is quite novel and and but you know it's a big piece of land and and definitely there's a lot of opportunity for developers in general but i mean it's a theme park you know or, or it's a park so it needs to be more theme, more themed you know, rather than just a, a shopping mall last thing hong kong needs at the moment is another shop yeah all right jay uh, on the other hand says since 40 percent of the population in hong kong are going to be poor i want ocean park turned into another poor man's nightclub like we had in central an apple chow food market years ago i want big round tables that support 10 people at a time so friends and family can all socialize like we used to do 25 years ago Ago. I want everything cheap and made of stainless steel, easy to clean. I do not want yuppie bars and high-class restaurants. I want, like, Singapore food market and live yeah. music. Put yeah. Ocean Park yeah. back on the map big time. Remember, you're spending my taxpayers' money, and I want to eat it, not some fat government official. I want cheap food and drink. Says Jay. Do you hear that? Yeah, listen, some, uh, some of the things are... Listen, Singapore does a good job with the food markets and that kind of thing, and for sure, it's a kind of... You're not going to have very high-class restaurants and that kind of thing i don't think it works as a theme park at the end of the day and so um you know he's not wrong i mean my suggestion is why does he get some uh investors together and, and bid on the tender and maybe do something like that but uh i'm joking but i mean in essence uh, uh you know there's all kinds of things uh, you've got to see what really works it's got to fit in to kind of the theme of, of ocean park and, and of course some high-end restaurants is not going to work. But Alan, at the end of the day, is Ocean Park still for tourists or for more for locals? And I think as all theme parks, you know very well, uh, Hong Kong is both. You know, we need locals, we need tourists. I mean, Hong Kong economy, just if we, the border's been closed now since February, and with no tourists at all, you can see all the empty shops in Hong Kong and, and how many jobs or people are out of, out of jobs. And so we need a balance as every city, New York, London, every major city in the world, Shanghai, has both tourists and locals. And so I think, I think this is something that Hong Kong people really need to understand. Uh, uh, of course, locals come first in everything. And then, of course, you, you, you appeal to some tourists. And, and uh, we've got to get Hong Kong. Well, hopefully we've got to get rid of this virus. I mean, it's a killer. You know, I think I can tell you from Lang Kwai Fong, it, it's, it's not a pleasant thing to, to be part of at the moment. So we've got to really get back on track and, and, and hopefully open up some of the places and get Hong Kong, uh, you know, back, back to life. Okay, well, Alan Zeeman, many thanks for joining us. Uh, former chairman of Ocean Park, thank you very much indeed. Uh, chairman of the uh, Lang Kwai Fong Group. Ada, many thanks to you. And the weather, fine and dry. Temperatures up to about 18 degrees today. Uh, the outlook cloudy with a few rain patches in the next couple of days, and then the weather will improve during the weekend to early next week. There's a cold weather warning now with 15 Celsius and a relative humidity down at 56%. The government provides public COVID-19 testing services through different channels. 
Those without symptoms but feel they have a higher risk of exposure can visit designated public clinics or other distribution points to obtain free test kits. Those having compulsory tests can visit community testing centers for free testing. The centers also provide self-paid services to those needing test reports for personal use. If feeling ill, see a doctor promptly and don't go elsewhere. 9.32, the news with Samantha Butler. A tourism professor says a major overhaul of Ocean Park's business model is challenging but could be a long-term solution for its financial woes. The revamp includes free access to a new shopping and dining zone, individually charging for attractions and outsourcing most operations. Professor Brian King from the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at the Polytechnic University says it's a necessary change. The World Health Organization and China have been criticized for not acting fast enough to stop the spread of the coronavirus. A team established by the WHO to investigate the response to the pandemic suggested the organization should have declared an international emergency sooner. And the Brazilian government has begun distributing thousands of doses of the Chinese-made coronavirus vaccine to all states. A day after health regulators gave emergency approval for its use, the nationwide inoculation program started on Monday, two days earlier than planned. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to you too. How are you doing? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to your show. How are you? Good morning. Man. How are you? Good to see you. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Yeah, it is. And good morning. Welcome to Tuesday. Well, we're going to start off today with journalist and contributor for Inside Asian Gaming and Forbes Asia, Mohammed Cohen, who many years ago was on Morning Brew with me. He's going to tell you about a guy who changed the face of Macau, Singapore, Las Vegas, and actually the casino business globally. Of course, I'm talking about Sheldon Addison, who passed away a few days ago after an incredible life journey, which Mohammed knows inside out and he wants to tell you about. 10.40, Jared Watt with this week's Aussie news and music. Dr. Marin Pierce will be on location somewhere at 10 past 11 with his Tuesday eco bit. And after 11.30, we're going to welcome the executive director of the Hong Kong Arts Festival, Tisa Ho. Going to find out what current plans are for bringing you this year's events. And after 12, of course, Maurice Misalowski live on the line from St Kilda in Melbourne with this year's Biz Futurism. Meanwhile, it is the Spice Girls and Stop. You're listening to The Morning Brew on Radio 3. You just walked in. 